Welcome, welcome, one and all, to yet another new episode of the What the Niche podcast with me, your host, Andrew Morris. It's great to be back with another fantastic conversation for your ear holes. Before we forge our way into the episode, I would like to make a couple quick announcements. First, if you have yet to check out the website for the podcast at whatthenitch.net, please head on over and see everything that is going on in the niche-sphere. Feel free to share your favorite episodes and material with your friends and family. I need all of your help so that this thing can continue to grow. Second, my guest today is a writer and marketing manager for SourcePoint Press. They're an independent comic book producer and they have some outstanding products in their lineup. Please show your support for a wonderful independent company and grab some merch from their online store. The link for their site is in the show notes. That's all I have for this week, so without further ado, it's on to this week's episode. In this week's episode, we will take a peek behind the colorful curtain into the world of comic book storytelling and marketing. I think probably the appeal of comics is, A, you're reading a story, and if it's a story you like, the type of story you like, you're halfway home. But B, you can also look at the pictures while you're reading the story. Now, a lot of people say, well... That's no good. It, it, it doesn't give your imagination a reason to grow and develop. I think that's nonsense for this reason. Shakespeare wrote plays. Should you never see one on the stage? Because then you're seeing what he wrote and your imagination isn't visualizing it. Maybe we shouldn't have stage plays. Maybe we should just read his scripts. You go to see a movie. Maybe you shouldn't go to the movie. Maybe you should just buy the screenplay. I mean, obviously, on the face of it, that's nonsense. Well, it's the same with a comic strip. A comic strip, in its own way, is like theater. You have the story, you have the illustrations. I, Steven Spielberg said to me once, incidentally, you, you may have realized by now, I'm the world's biggest name dropper. <laughs> But he said to me once, you know, Stan, you and I do essentially the same thing, except my pictures move. Mm. Um, there is nothing wrong with reading a story and looking at the pictures. It's a great way to be entertained. And it's a simple way if you don't want to wade through a 300-page book. If you just don't have the time, it doesn't mean... I don't know anybody who reads comics who doesn't read books because if you develop a facility at reading, you'll read anything. And speaking of that, this is another thing I've lectured about a lot when I've gone to high schools and reading classes. There is nothing better than a comic book to help students learn to read mm -hmm. because today we're living in an age where kids don't read as much and don't want to read as much and feel they don't have to read as much because they get it all on the screen, whether it's a computer screen or a movie screen or a TV screen or a, a cell phone screen. 
flickering lights creating soft shadows, dancing across cold stone, earthly colors mixing together, acting as the genesis of visual art, monoliths towering in the sand, acting as beacons of history, shining in the desert sun, acting as a gem of human achievement. The interior tunnels and tombs of these gigantic pieces of the past, filled with an ancient language of pictures, adorning nearly every surface. Fast forward thousands of years, you'll find billions of human faces dimly lit by the hypnotic pulsing light, radiating from our modes of handheld convenience. But despite the modern person being dramatically different from those long ago people, we still find ourselves connected to an ancient means of communication, one laughing emoji at a time. We demonstrate a kindred bond to those stories told through pictures which have long stood the test of time. From the caves of Lascaux to the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, a need to use a universal form of language has prevailed. Those connections likely linked to a unifying theme. Everyone is born into an unstoppable history, each moment passing to the next. Gears of the ticking clock persisting. An image or story can bring the cogs of the ever-constant machine to a halt allowing us the superpower to freeze just a moment. While the motivations may differ, the quintessential need to capture a fleeting piece of the unfolding mechanisms of life appears to be consistent. Pictures of the growing baby, drawings of the family on the refrigerator, the vibrant colors sprayed upon the side of a bustling train, or the strategically placed lines brushed upon a glimmering canvas. All of us acting as gatekeepers for the medium of capturing and preserving our own stories. Therefore, a resounding relationship may pierce through and explain how comic books have become one of civilization's more adored forms of storytelling. Our draw likely not just to the archetypal characters or to the stereotypical conflicts we've come to expect, but rather to the connections to the past, which beckon to us with each chiseled jaw or action-packed cell on those soft pages. And maybe you and I have merely been powerless to the primitive call of those bold pieces of pictured tales without ever realizing the magical spell which had been cast upon us. And that brings me to today's guest. Her name is Casey Pierce. She is a creator, writer, editor, and marketing guru for the comic book industry. During our conversation, we maneuver through the world through the lens of a female and an often male-dominated field of interest. Casey explains her difficult rise through the ranks of this juggernaut of entertainment. Her road was filled with tribulation, 
but she persevered and now she has become a successful writer of her own series entitled Nora. We also discuss her inspirations for pursuing writing and she offers words of wisdom for those looking to produce their own products in the comic business. I really enjoyed this chat with an incredibly talented person and I hope all of you are entertained by our banter. Hi, my name is Casey Pierce. I am a flagship creator for SourcePoint Press. I'm also a CEO of Red Pen Media, an editing company, and we also do creative advising. Um, throughout my six-year career in comics, I've traveled throughout the United States, Canada, and overseas, uh, giving a direct sales panel uh, called Good Luck With That, where I coach people on how to not only uh, sell this thing that they've created, but sell themselves as a brand, market themselves, sell a script, what publishers look for, etc. Um, nowadays, now with COVID, I uh, do some guest speaking in classroom, virtual classrooms, uh, where I speak to other uh, comic creators uh, looking to break into the industry. And I sort of deliver um, the same panel, the same instruction and sort of let them know how it really is in the industry. That's fantastic. Um, I'm curious, um, before we started the conversation proper, you told me you're from Detroit. Uh, and through the grapevine, I'm new to comics, like I was telling you, uh, thanks to I got to continually give shout outs to my boy, Brian Rodman, uh, his passion and his love for the industry has rubbed off on me. I'm surrounded by graphic novels now. It's becoming a problem. Uh, <laughs> but when he was talking about it, he said there's so many independent people coming out of Michigan. Yes. Um, why is that? There was an indie uprise that happened here. Um, and I don't know how to describe it, we all knew each other, but I'll tell you this, there's nobody closer knit than the Detroit comic community. Um, we, you know, Metro Detroit, um, we're surrounded by, gosh, there's 13 cities to the south of it that are really closely linked. And um, we're also the heart of the Midwest in terms of comics and in terms of comic cons. So we're near the biggest one in the Midwest, which is C2E2. We're only like a few hours away. And then there's Motor City Comic Con. And then uh, when the big boom happened, the saturation of comic cons, Michigan had tons and tons and tons. I mean, I've toured so many Michigan shows, it's unreal. Um, but it's a great thing though, because we all, Everybody gets work, which I love. So for all your tradespeople in comics, from your letterers, your colorists, you know, somebody is getting work and they're getting work through the grapevine and we all help each other out. So we all might have all these different products. We all might be with different publishers, but at the end of the day, we all like to help each other out and we call each other con family. So That's beautiful. Uh, and pardon my ignorance. What is a letterer? Uh, someone who uh, puts the font dialogue letters, the comics. That's a, that's a job. Yes. That is an art in and of itself. It really is. Um, and I've worked with different letterers over the years and some illustrators will do their own lettering. Mm -hmm. um, I know some that would like to avoid that because it's just extra work, uh -huh. but you'd be surprised at how much really goes into it, how much a slightly different font style can really make 
the line just land totally different. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. I uh, just went through the second graphic novel issue uh, of Outcast, and they use different lettering for uh, basically the devil. I'm trying to think of the character's name. Uh, I'm spacing on it. And then the demons have a different font. And so it does d- different cool things. Uh, there's a guy I had on the podcast, Marco Hootie. Uh, he does the wildest lettering I've ever seen. I bet I'm sure he does it himself because it's incorporated into the piece throughout some of it. So he does unusual paneling and he does all this different wild stuff. Like it might take you three minutes to read a page because it's like a puzzle sometimes, mm-hmm. but it like adds to some of what he was doing. Um, so yeah, I could see that now. I just didn't yeah, know. They become a really intricate part of the art uh, sometimes. And Justin Birch is probably one of the biggest letterers in the industry. And he happens to be a Michigan boy. And uh, we're very proud of that. He's worked, he's done a lot for Source Point Press. Um, I have used uh, Mira Mortal, uh, who is a horror writer in her own right, um, had just lettered um, my the second volume of my sci-fi series, Nora, and which is in stores now, and then um, my Viking Witch series, Cirrus. And she's just absolutely phenomenal. And, and forget the lettering. She, she her, her books are great too. She does a lot of like, uh, one shots like graphic novels, horror, um, zombie clown circus, really fun ones. Um, Doll Island was a, a recent big hit of ours uh, for her. So, yeah, I saw that on a recent list of uh, horror things to snag. Yeah, wow. yeah, Mir- Mira's great. Mira's great. Right on. That's she, awesome. She's actually uh, she's Canadian. Oh, Canadian. Okay. Mm-hmm. So your neighbors to the north. I can take yes. it. Yes, cool. we work out a lot with the Canadians too because. Literally, I could drive to the Ambassador Bridge. It's like 15 minutes from here. That's awesome. Very cool. (laughs) Yeah, and they're nice people. Like, not just like as a stereotype. My encounters with Canadians have been has been very pleasant. So, uh, I've I've worked with a what a a stereotype. It's horrible of you to say. Yeah, what a terrible. Yeah, uh, yeah. (laughs) one of the one of the positive ones, right? Um, so one of the things I like to do is I like to give people the opportunity. Um to later rest certain stereotypes or certain misconceptions. So that that's a beautiful segue and that me making a stereotype by the Canadians. Uh, so allowing people to later rest to some of those uh, perceptions that are off or some of those misconceptions uh, for the people. Uh, and I, I think I brought this to your attention. You're like, Oh yeah, I am a woman who works in the comic industry. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I was, was curious to hear uh, what some of those things that you've encountered what do people assume about you being in the industry and also being a woman in the industry? Uh, you know, in person, I think there is, there's still sort of uh, an old boys mentality and I don't, it's not. Okay. So for example, like when I'm, when I was doing comic cons and things like that, um, I don't, when you were at a comic con, you are in a cesspool of um, some of the socially inept. And I always consider the source before I get angry about an issue or something that I run into. And, um, but this does not happen very often, I have to say. I'm, I'm, I'm very respected where I am and people treat me with respect and I've never really had much of an issue. But when I do, I always think that, you know, it's, some people just don't know any better and they mean you no harm. So 
um, when I'm selling uh, Nora, for example, I don't say that I'm the writer first. And I pitch the series and like, you know, it's Starship Troopers meets X-Files. It's about a woman who can go into your coma and retrieve you from or help you cross over. Um, and it's very much in the work, spirit of Robert Heinlein. It's all hand painted and they're flipping through it. They absolutely love it. And uh, then at the end, you know, they're like, oh, that's awesome. Is, is the writer here? Can they sign it? So yeah, I'll sign it for you. And then they give me a look like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I wrote it. But to me, that's not, there's no prejudice there with ill intent. That was a moment where I really got to educate somebody and I really got to enlighten someone. So every moment that I encounter anything like that, even a smidge, um, it's just another opportunity. And I absolutely love it. Um, let's see, uh, other misconceptions. Um, I think in You don't comics, look like a nerd, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, Maybe that's you know, one. You know, in early on in my career, I did. I, I did the whole um, fishnets and sneakers kind of thing, <laughs> you know, the glasses and, you know, nerding it up. But now I'm, I'm because I've worked in this industry so long, um, I, I've sort of evolved into naturally just being more business minded because I love the industry so much. Um, and I sort of know the ins and outs of it, especially in terms of marketing, branding and sales. Um, it just became a passion for me and I absolutely love sales. Um, oh, other misconceptions. So in social media, this is a thing. So you get looped into groupings of people. Oh, you know, you're one of the, the ranters and ravers about, you know, hardcore feminism and, you know, uh, you're a she woman man hater and then you get the other grouping where you're being just too passive and you're not standing up for yourself enough and I'm just like you know I practice the art of indifference I am not a woman or a man I'm a writer and you can treat me as such and we don't have a problem that's just it people always want to group you into certain things like oh another woman in comics here comes a rancher and raver or here comes a woman who you know, is too scared to stand up for herself and just wants to be liked. I'm neither. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, really. I love that that sentiment because as an artist, you, you I, I do understand we're not in a vacuum. Let's, we got to be real about that. I yeah. totally get it. Everybody comes to a certain thing. I mean, that's one of the, the main things I address in this, this very idea and concept of this podcast. But if you're an artist, can you not let your artist speak on its own you right. know like you said just i'm just a writer let judge me on the merits of my writing right. don't say pretty good for a woman you know because right. that's right. shitty too don't mm -hmm. do that just say it's good you know yeah. uh it's almost like the passive racism you know so i pretty she's pretty hot for uh a whatever right you know, and you're right. like why can't you just say she's pretty yeah right. freak it <laughs> and, if, and if you don't like my work guess what you know i push the company catalog and i don't take it as an offense like oh you don't like my work because i'm a woman no like i we have other great works from other talented women too but other than that like i've, I've got some guys here that you know really support me and um it, it and in our company it's not about who's a man and who's a woman and who i'm gonna promote gender wise it's like this company backs me up no matter what man or yeah. woman and it wasn't because I was a woman, you know, they didn't make me one of the, the pillars of this company because I'm a woman. There, there's no way. No, I just, you just do things out of just 
you know, being virtuous. And you aren't, know? Just, aren't yeah. comics inherently political? They've been doing it for 50, 60 years. Yeah. Black Panther. I mean, the fact that you had Wonder Woman, a lot of those things were empowering people that were seen as the other. And times the fact, you know, that Marvel implemented black heroes and things of that, that nature into their series way before it would have been popular culture. Right. You know, so it's like the fact that people even want to act like that's a problem. And like, it spoke for itself and wait. you knew it and you knew it when you read it. Yeah. It didn't have to be like, oh, um, it, it wasn't marketing sleaze. No. You know, I, they didn't use it. They didn't cheapen it. Mm -hmm. They didn't cheapen the content. They didn't cheapen the message. And you do that when you put out a book and you say, oh, well, this is a middle finger to this social issue. Let them read it. Let it speak for itself. It doesn't need you to cheapen the social issue to sell it. I so, think that's, yeah, I think that's, a I think, point. I think intention is everything. Yeah. And I think that um, it, it's just, it's really all about your attention. I mean, there's a lot in my series, Nora, you'll find a lot of undertones and a lot of questions about bio warfare and what's necessary and what's good and what's evil. And, and it's all a matter of perspective and really thought provoking stuff, but I don't talk about that. I just say, Hey, you know, do you like the works of Robert Heinlein? Cause I was really inspired by that guy. So and it's also a hand paint in the comic. Do you do the you art know? as well? No, gosh. <laughs> you don't want me drawing anything. So now, who's your who's your artist? So for volume one, it was Sean Seal. And then for volume two, it's Kelly O'Hara. And they're both fantastic uh, painters. And what Kelly brought to it with the release of volume two was sort of a manga edge. Um, she's a huge Blade Runner fan. You can totally tell. So this dark sci-fi story uh, was right up her alley and I knew I had the right person. And Sean's work is just phenomenal. Um, and we released volume one back in 2015. So it had been a long time, but back in 2015, we weren't as big of a company as we are now. Um, we were in uh, diamond distribution. Uh, we weren't in every single um, comic shop worldwide. Um, so the reason why the release of between volume one and volume two is so spanned is because of all the things we were doing in between them to get the company to where it was. So, um, but now the four issue trade for, uh, volumes one and two are available at sourcepoint.press. Beautiful. Yeah. So you're already, you're already jumping the gun. I usually leave a promotional piece at the end. So I'm always on. I worked in sales. I get it. I sold cars for two years. Don't hold it against me. Uh, <laughs> people are always like, oh, God, a car salesman. Here we go. It's hard to sell a car. It's very That's a hard. big commitment. It it's is a big indeed. commitment. No, like, I Let me get you, you to spend 40 grand today and let's do that. You know, right. Like, exactly. That's it's so much easier to sell a book. Trust me. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> it's not much of a risk there. Right. Um, so there were a couple other things I wanted to ask you. Um, I know that you said that you definitely wanted to come to this question. Um, if there were one thing about the comic industry that you think that people don't know uh, that you want them to know, what might that be? Or some things. It is not. There's no, for one thing, there's no linear way into this. There just isn't. Um, everyone's story varies wildly. Um, and I don't care what book you read on the comic industry by the the next like the next year 
or the next month is going to be different. The landscape is always changing. And so everything that I talk about in the panel, good luck with that, um, were things that I wish I had known going into the industry that I found out. But in a way, I'm glad I found out the way I did because it sort of curved my character. It sort of uh, shaped who I am and put me on this mission to be like, okay, there's people who genuinely want to get their projects off the ground and they're not being given the right tools because they're listening to too many people who think they have it right, yet they've been sitting in Artist Alley for the past 20 years with the same portfolio and not going anywhere. Mm. It's like rocks listening to rocks. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? I'm their work ethic is not up to me, but I can give them the tools and the inspiration. And if I can do that, if I can just light a little bit of a spark, maybe there's a fire there. So um, yeah, that's really what I want people to know. It's, it's not what you think. Um, and it's a lot of grinding and it's a lot of knowing how to talk about your work. That's the biggest thing. And that is so hard to do. It's so hard to do to summarize and to brand comparison. And um, you have to be willing to um, com compare yourself marketably and realize that you're not sacrificing artistic integrity and also be willing to listen to multiple editors and take everything with a grain of salt. Um, basically, if you can shut up and listen, you'll make it in this industry. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I have a T-shirt that says "Shut the fuck up and listen." Uh, yeah. Available on my podcast uh, site. <laughs> that's that's good advice. That's very yeah. good advice. But I love giving that panel, and I have had it's so rewarding because there's been so many people. After I remember New York, I had a few people come up to the table and say, "You know, I saw your panel last year, and now I have my own thing. You know, I, this is mine. This is a thing." And then they bring it to me, this, this book. And it, it doesn't seem, you know, like, you know, oh, here's another comic. No, not this is, that's a big step for them to see, yeah. put a thing in motion. A comic is a huge production. People oh, yeah. do not realize. And, um, but no, I'm, I'm so grateful for those experiences and those people that I was able to reach. For sure. And I, I think you said some profound things in there. Um, I'm glad that you addressed the fact that uh, you rather wouldn't have known some of the things that you had to learn the hard way, because a lot of times that that's what sharpens the blade is that Absolutely. struggle, that beating on it, you know? And a lot of times I really find this in education. It's one of the biggest learning curves that I've ever had for myself. Uh, and the thing is, is I didn't know what I needed to know until I needed to know it. Yeah. So do you like, ever? Do you yeah. Ever? It's like, what questions do I even ask? There's the expanse is so great. It's yeah. like on the ocean without a map. Well, you're like, right. well, I know I need to go somewhere that way, but I don't know exactly how to get there. You right. know, so you just kind of figure it out. And, you know, I think that's the beauty. That's the the beauty of being a human being and growing. And yeah. you know, when you do I, succeed, it makes it that much sweeter. You know, I tell this story all the time and I tell it in good luck with that. The editor-in-chief of SourcePoint Press, Travis McIntyre. Now, mind you, when we were small, we would punk rocket across the country in a van, shoved in with a bunch of sweaty fat dudes for 12 hours sometimes. Um, and we would just distribute these books by hand. And we would stand on our feet all day long. Uh, we would get there at five in the morning. I've washed my bangs in so many uh, convention bathrooms 
had had no sleep and I'm like, okay, let's do it. You know? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, it was Indiana comic-con our first year. And I remember my colleague, Greg Wright, who has the monstrous series. He's just out selling me left. Monstrous. You know, monstrous. I literally just got handed that it's uh, sitting next to my desk here. That Uh, is Greg Wright. Oh my gosh. You should really have the art is beautiful. Oh, that's, that's Ken. Can Lumbug? Can, can, uh, I'm probably wrong. Uh, He's from Vegas. I'll tell you. The artist. Sonatikata? Tikita? Let's this, see. The same oh, one? That's, oh, that's Monstress. Oh, Monstress. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, Monstress. Monstress. Is, okay. Well, yeah, this it's, one's it's gorgeous. A it's a children's cover. Monstress is beautiful. I, yeah, I've always wanted to hire that cover artist for work. Oh, you should. Uh, oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. But uh, Monstrous is a um, an all ages macabre series. Oh, okay. Monsters. Very but, cool. Uh, but Greg Wright can sell like a machine, and he's got so many books. And I, our editor in chief Travis, he's a habitual hazer, and he's like, "Oh, Greg's over here out selling you." You know, trying to poke the bear. <laughs> yeah. And I was so tired, my feet hurt. And I hadn't sold a comic in two hours. And I just turned around and I go, well, of course he is. I haven't sold a comic in two hours. And I just broke down crying. And I just felt like I don't belong here. Uh, I'm never going to make it in this industry. I thought I was someone when I finally had a comic. Nobody cares about this comic. Nobody cares that I did a thing. And I remember he put his arm around me, popped bear style, and he rushed me through the crowd. And he, <clears throat> we went back by the loading docks. And he's like, listen, he's like, you, he put things in perspective. He goes, well, you have one comic book. Greg has five. He said, also, I'm going to tell you this right now. You don't need thousands of people buying your work. You need the right 500 to follow you. And that really resonated with me. And I, I kept that. So whenever I would, like from then on, it wasn't about selling the book. It was about selling the brand. And... I made genuine connections with people. And even if I didn't make a sale, they knew me. And from that, if I didn't publish something that they liked right then, I would give them a card. And later on, they would buy something online or they would reach out to me online. They would follow me. And I just built this following. And then when the whole mentorship thing happened, and that was just a natural thing. I just really love helping people. Um, My basis of my followers now are all indie creators um, and <clears throat> people that I have genuinely engaged with over the years that we have sort of this bond. So no, I didn't build a customer base. I built a family and I'm so proud of that. And it's been going six years strong now. I can attest to that. Um I started this thing at the beginning of the year and uh, this has been, you know, kind of a saving grace for an extrovert giving me an opportunity to be able to talk to people. And much like you, I hadn't met you before we started this conversation. And I think you'll be one of the other people that I keep in contact with and, you know, support what you do. And it's just amazing that, um, like you said, the indie creators and things of that nature, like I've mentioned Brian Rodman, uh, Nathan Thomas Milner, uh, Ryan Case, um, Braxton Gaither, uh, so many of these different people that I met through this and now they support me. You know, they they took time to like write reviews on my stuff and then I reciprocate for them, not just because, 
you know, I'm like, oh, well, they did it for me. I guess I better do it for them. It's not that <laughs> at all. I believe yeah. in what they're doing because right. I being part of that process, understanding the work that they put in, understanding the person that they are means so much more to me and being a part of their process when they do do something and, you know, they put out a comic and my name is on the Kickstarter. I feel proud that, like you said, I'm part of that family that created that thing. We did it. And you said it best. You said it yeah. best when you said that I am a part of something because yeah. that's the, the biggest difference between mainstream uh, readers or everybody reads mainstream, but, yeah. but mainstream and indie is that indie feels that they are part of the action because they are a part of the journey because without them, there's no us. And if you ever, ever lose sight of that, you're not going to make it. This, I mean, this isn't like a billion dollar industry. No. So anybody who gets into it for the money, I'll laugh you out the door. But if you get into it for the true intention of making those connections, telling a really good story, you're going to be very, very successful. And even financially successful too. That just comes, but that shouldn't be like your headstrong intent. That, that will just naturally develop. Just keep your intentions true. And that's just all it is. Just genuinely engage and never even have to be skeezy or lie or cheapen a social issue ever again. (laughs) (laughs) And, and on the same page, I've said this several times. I think that you probably, you probably address this to people. If I had to guess Um, this feast or famine mentality, you know, uh, certain artists, it's problematic. They're like, if I'm not the next Andy Warhol, I've nothing. And you're like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 no, you could be a mid-level guy who's making a living doing the thing you love. And there's, you know, a thousand people, like you said, that absolutely adore your work and follow right. everything that you did. Does it matter? Do you need 10 million people to truly be successful that like your stuff? Like, right. But if, if he said, if I'm not successful as Andy Warhol or then I'm nothing, then the stoic in me says, okay, then you're right. <laughs> I mean, perception is reality. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I I can't alt, alter your perception. I can only alter I can only offer you perspective. And um, yeah, that's just it. it's always a going back to source. What is the source of this intent? And uh, I no now mine was different when I first went into comics. I started out in prose. So I had written horror novella pieces of madness which is seven short tales of the insane cultist and paranormal, sort of a Clive Barker meets Twilight Zone. And that's what really put me on the map. Yeah. Yeah. That's an old book. That's a classic. Oh, nice. Very nice. nice. Yeah. Um, But, uh, but that's how I got into comics was because uh, of that book. But you know, my intentions going into the industry, I was like, you know, I remember when I was approached about doing a comic, um, Trevor said, I need you to write me a comic. And my attitude at the time, piss poor, which was you know, like, I don't write comics. I write novels. You know, these are like five little short stories, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, you know, um, I didn't know thyself, I guess. Yeah. And, um, then I guess the intention was, yeah, I'm going to be that, that, really cool nerd girl i'm going to be a part of this culture and you know all this stuff and then once i arrived and everybody else and their mom was doing that too and i was just like but i can do it too and then i'm like why am i doing this why do what am i trying to prove here don't you just want to tell a really good story 
And uh, that's when I just said, you know, what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to be myself. I, you know, there's a reason they put blinders on the racehorse. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what I did. I stopped comparing myself and what, uh, what the other female creator was doing next to me or, uh, you know, what, whatever, whatever was trendy. I'm like, this is just me and um, I'm going to market myself as me. And I did. And I was very successful at it. Yeah, what you said, that resonates with me hardcore. Um, I was literally just talking uh, to one of my really good friends earlier. He's completely covered in tattoos of comic books. He's comic book obsessed. He, I think he has 50,000. No exaggeration. And I What's know there's people name? crazier than him. Chris Whitworth. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought maybe he worked for Source Point. He sounds like somebody I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was talking to him. I was like, because, you know, I've been buying up as many stories as I can. I'm reaching out to different people, asking for recommendations, scouring the internet, going to half price books here in Louisville and buying up all the $5 graphic novels. And the thing I didn't realize before was the richness of the stories that were being told in these things, because much like you, um, I was a child of literature. Like I, I read, uh, anything I could get my hands on as a kid. You know, I was reading James Patterson. I was reading Dean Koontz. I was reading Christopher Pike, Stephen King, Clyde Barker, um, any and everything, Tolkien, you know, all the things. I loved mystery. I loved uh, fantasy. I loved horror. I loved it all. I loved action. You know, I liked what they called airport fiction, just the shit that they, they sell <laughs> like hotcakes, you know? And, yeah, yeah. And then I saw the passion and some of the people that I talked to about these things. And I was like, okay, let me check it out. Tell me what to check out. And he told me to check out um, Saga. By yes! And um, <laughs> dude, like I did not understand like the worlds that were being built in these things. And uh, that story just blew me away. I mean, it's like Star Wars meets Game of Thrones. It's absolutely yeah. incredible the art's amazing uh the television faced aliens well that's so cool and yeah. deep and deep deep like i, I love like that that uh, graphic novel is beautiful because there's just so much symbolism and uh beautiful thematic structure and like as an english nerd i was like damn there's a lot to this and it's a simple catalyst too i mean two species yeah. who are uh you know not uh they're they're war torn lovers. Yeah, it's cliche. And they're not as supposed shit. to be right, and it's Shakespeare. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um, it, the most beautiful, like, momentous world building stories are based on simple catalysts, and Saga is one of them. It's such a beautiful book, so successful. It's so great. Uh, I love it. Anxiously awaiting the uh, fourth volume. Uh, of the uh, the graphic novel version because I have all three and they're amazing. Um, but yeah, it's and it's interesting that you say that because I, I thought it was really cool that they're taking basic concepts and it's it's kind of like a tired trope at this point, but it's all about the character. The characters yeah. are different. They're the same. They're the same situation, the war-torn lovers, but their personalities are so unique. And there's just all these And you identify with them. You identify you with do. them, even though they're from a different world, different yeah. reality, different species. And you're like, I see myself in that, yeah? Yeah, and that is, that's the job of a good author. I think that's people like Stephen King. I think he's probably the best 
uh, at building those relationships, those relationships that you can relate to, you know, stories like it, stories like The Stand, uh, which I'm really excited for that new uh, iteration of that on CBS. Excited to see what they do with that. Um, I do like the fact that they cast Alexander Skarsgård as a uh, Randall flag. I'll, I'll be curious to see how he portrays that. But uh, I just love those stories, like the rich characters and the ri- the relationships, um, the relationships of the boys in it. That's so authentic. That is yeah. legit how we fucking talked in middle school. I can tell <laughs> you right now, we said things that we didn't fully understand because it sounded nasty. And we're like, ha, 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 ha. yeah, he said big, big talk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're like, he said, boob. Woo. <laughs> you know, so I love that. He's real. He's not shying away from what those relationships really are, even though there's that thing that he did in it. And I don't need to say yeah. anything else. Everybody knows what you're talking about. You say it. That thing. Oh, that it's, it's unsettling. It makes you like look at him in a different way a little bit. Like, and he talked about it in an interview. He still sits by it. He's like, he, he right. does admit, he's like, I mean, I get why people, but that's why I did it. Go, I've thrown I've there. thrown semen at school children in stories, so. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not it's not quite on Stephen King level, but. I feel like we'd need a whole separate conversation for the context for that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm, I can get behind it. If there's some artistic integrity there, you do you. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious. To see, you you started on this a little bit. How has the industry changed uh, since you've been involved? I know you said you've been involved six years. Yeah. So it's interesting because I came in at a time when it was just starting to become cool again, because back in the nineties, you know, comic cons, people flock to them for the genuine creator meeting experience. And now I still stand behind it. I think that still reigns true. But now uh, when I came into it, it was when the Big Bang Theory was just becoming a show, the best and worst thing to happen to Comic-Con. So at the time, uh, you were just getting comic readers. Now you're getting people who want to be a part of something, which is great. It's awesome. I love Comic-Con for that. I love that anybody of any race, creed, uh, background, families, everybody. So there's something for someone to do at Comic-Con. Um, but then with that also comes a misconception of, well, I can't sell a comic here. Uh, you know, they only want the Funkos and the stickers and, you know, they're stuff enthusiasts. And there was a lot of flooding of stuff enthusiasts uh, in the comic industry, especially at comic cons, um, when I was coming up, uh, throughout these last five, five years or so. And what I've discovered is underneath it all, even if they weren't comic readers or readers in general, um, the bottom line is people want to be a part of something that's cool and they want to do something with their family. That's cool. So it isn't, it's very pretentious to assume that walking in the door they should be like well they should check out you know every single book or uh, they should check out my book because it's cool no that's your job that's your job to place place it in their hands say you know what I think this is cool and I'm going to tell you why and make make it an experience Um, so that's really I think the clientele base in comics really changed over the past five years and you're getting people that um, instead of saying what sort of genre you know that you like what genre of comic do you like they say marvel and dc and 
you you want to say well those are companies but yeah. then you kind of like okay then you it it's a launching point to ask them okay are you are you talking about cape superheroes you like that kind of thing um and then but that strikes up a conversation too because then like oh well i like space adventures and sci-fi i'm like okay do you like fantasy sci-fi like star wars or do you like the darker stuff are we talking about like x-files i'm like oh i do like x-files and then you get to know that person a little bit more a little bit more like i said every moment that you think is adversity is actually opportunity and um but yeah the long way around to that answer would be that the clientele has really changed in comics yeah i think there's been <clears throat> what's interesting is the shift from nerd culture shifting to just being culture. Yeah. Because the success of the Marvel fran Marvel franchise just can't be undervalued. You no. know, when you have those movies, each one of them, you know, the Avengers movies make $2 billion, you know, and of course now it's the top grossing movie of all time. It's and an industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's insane to see what they've done. Um, and it, it, like you said, I, I've talked, I, I know the people that are the diehard fans are like fucking poser. And you're like, all right, man, like, shouldn't you be happy that like all the people get to enjoy the thing that you love too? Nope. No, yeah, there's just that, <laughs> that bitterness. They're like, no, right. You know right. Issue 33. This, this thing that, that I had. Yeah. Right. Well, everybody wants to take ownership of their fandom. Like this, yeah. is, this was my thing. Well, we're all hipsters in a way, I guess. I, and right. I do that. I do that shit too. I do it about podcasts. Um, you know, people are like, yeah, I really like this podcast. And they just got into it. You know, they're like, I really like Joe Rogan. And I'm like, bitch, I've been listening to Joe Rogan since Rogan three. He's like the podfather. That's right. Yeah. He's one of one of a few. You have Adam Carolla, uh, who was on the, the front lines. Mark Marin started one really early. Kevin Smith. Uh, you know, I like all those guys and, you know, and I have legit been listening to podcasts since like 06, you know, and, you know, back when it was really in its infancy, it was, it was renegade radio. It was, it was amazing, you know, because I wasn't going to pay for serious satellite radio just to listen to Howard Stern, even though I did like Howard Stern most of the time. Uh, sometimes I'm like, Hey bro, you need to stop saying the N word. <laughs> like, yeah, that episode was crazy. And, um, uh, but, you know, so I, yeah, I think it's a little bit of that. We all have that, uh, that aversion, you know, I'm a horror fan and, you know, you get people that are new to the genre. Like, yeah, I really like uh, Friday 13th. And uh, I'm like, Oh Jesus, the commercial slash. Yeah. Let me educate you a little bit, you know, and then I get a little smug. We all have our moments. <laughs> oh yeah. We're all snobs. We all are. Yeah. You're like, I'll, sh me. I'll shove up my glasses in disgust at a minute. <laughs> you're like well let me tell you if i get through let me tell you boy it's all a comic book guy from the simpsons will, um... i will uh i'm going to need two burritos for you to get what you need uh yeah i love that guy <laughs> the fact that it's 30 three seasons in and using the same characters but somehow they're still interesting and he's still relevant yeah Oh, They're still a comic book guy. Even more so now. Like more people are familiar with yeah. that guy. It's yeah, less inside. Actually, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, you still get those guys at the few video stores that we have. Um, there's a place here in Louisville called uh, Book of Music Exchange. And uh, they sell used movies and things of that nature. And I always love just like being in the room where they are. Because um, it'll be three dudes at the counter and like talking about uh, movies just waxing poetically about the things they love. They're like, actually, 
uh, I remember one day I was in there, they were hating on Dane Cook, um, you know, who was a famous comedian and was kind of on top of the world for a while. And just them shitting on this guy. You know, I love that his movies are now in 4K because you could see just how ugly he is. And I'm like, like, dude, I don't know. I like I'm not trying to hate, bro, but damn. Like, <laughs> have you looked in the mirror? <laughs> Come on, bro. Like, be easy. Like, I know what my strengths are. Like, I didn't get my wife from being fucking Brad Pitt. You know, I got a personality. It goes a long way. Yeah. Um, so, um, well, I like ending these things um, on a positive note. Not to say none of this wasn't positive. It's been great. Um, I like to know what brought people to the industries or the niches uh, for you. It's the industry of, you know, comics in general. What brought you to it? What inspired you to come into this world? I was divinely guided. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was on an acid trip in Vegas, and yeah. <laughs> I, I drank myself to death. Uh, no, so I'll tell you this: I remember I had just come out of a very, very we'll call it toxic relationship um, about seven years ago, and I it left me in a very bad place. And I remember I woke up on my pull out couch in my one bedroom apartment uh, surrounded by fast food bags and my uh, ashtray was overflowing and my TV was blinking, letting me know that I didn't pay the cable. And it was the lowest point of my life. And I was wrecked. And I took, I think maybe it was an hour, but to me it felt like 10 minutes. And I was like, why am I repeating the same patterns? Why am I here again? And I did a quick inventory of my life. And I'm like, it's because I'm doing what other people think I should do. And I'm living my life for other people. Every decision I ever made, I would look to somebody else. And so that morning I woke up and I just said, I'm going to start living for myself. And I'm going to do something that people always told me was impractical. In fact, I didn't even go to school for it. I was detoured from it because people were like, you'll never make money that way. I wanted to be a writer. And so I got up, ripped up my cigarettes and I said, I'm going to be a writer from here on out. And that is how everything snowballed. It was probably problematic that you ripped up those cigarettes. That's a stimulant. I mean, that was, that was yeah. how Stephen King got through the eighties was cocaine and cigarettes. <laughs> Legit. He talked about yeah. that in his book that's i'm glad to know those kinds of stories to know that you know something positive comes out of something hor you know horrendous you're hitting this bottom yeah, point i did i didn't even know anybody really uh in comics um it just i think it was just sort of the art of allowing as they say i'm like this is this is a decision this is what i've decided to do this is what i've let the universe know and people just flooded to me and things just started happening and i'm so grateful for it that's phenomenal. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. It, Live it, now. All you have is right now. It's <laughs> cliche, but it's true. It's true. Uh, yeah. I mean, it might sound, you know, you, you see it on a t-shirt. You're like, oh, that's why today is called the present. You're like, bitch. <laughs> all right. Yes. Uh, relax with your, your overly chipperness. Okay. Can you bring it down to about a nine? Right. Um, but no, I totally agree. Uh, I, I think that it's, it's, 
And what you said is when you open yourself to, to a world, to a universe, it's amazing how many people flock in uh, to that family that you didn't know existed. You just had its perception. Again, we come back to that. You know, it's like you buy a Subaru and then all of a sudden, you know, oh my God, I've seen Subarus everywhere. You know, right, it's, right. you open well, so yourself. It's, it's a path of least resistance. Yeah. So barriers don't exist if you don't know about them. Yes. Yeah, and you're so hitting this with the philosophy lesson. I, I remember when I came into the industry and I had there was a podcaster who, God bless him, um, he had asked me, so what's it like to be a woman in a male-dominated industry? And I had no answer. I literally went stupid. I, and I, <laughs> I, was, I, I was doing one of these. like, I, 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 You know, and there were so many of my peers who were having certain um, uh, issues. And I, I didn't encounter any of those scenarios until I knew about them. So it's one of those things like we really put it in perspective. You're like, well, like I said, bar barriers don't exist if I don't acknowledge them. I think that's a great point. Yeah. I, uh, or you, you, uh, you can put on a show as sometimes you are a little stressed out. Like you talked about, you know, having the moment at the, at the show, uh, where you got upset. Um, and you, sometimes you can recognize those barriers, but like you said, you got to just push through it. You got to say, I don't care. Right. Is it a barrier going. or is it an opportunity? Yeah. An op opportunity or just a, a temporary obstacle. You right. know, the same problems, thing ends. problems are temporary situations. Correct. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And absolutely. I, I, keeping that illusion of professionalism uh, is sometimes hard, you know, and, but you got to keep it, you know, you can't let them know you're shook. You know, so because they're right. always watching whoever they are. Uh, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Don't let them see. So even if you got to fake, fake it till you make it, that's true. Mm -hmm. You know, because um, they've been tired. I've been tired. And I mean, even like right now, like we can talk about it. Like I've had, you know, MS since I was 27. And it sometimes it would affect me at a Comic Con. And I'd have to like, don't let them see you sweat. Oh my God. Are you seeing them sick right now? You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just one of those things like you can if you have a certain level of emotional resilience, um, you can do anything, just, you know, take care of yourself, obviously, but, um, you can't let any dread, worry, misconceptions, what people might think of you, uh, cripple you because it doesn't serve you at all. I love that. I think that's a beautiful sentiment to, to send us out of this conversation. That's fantastic. Um, you've already, you've already done it several times, but we'll make it official. People know where to expect it. So we'll put it here at the end, uh, promote all things that you have going on. All right. So, uh, Nora volume one and two, you can get at sourcepoint.press. my Viking witch horror series, Sirius. You can also find at sourcepoint.press. Uh, you can find me at, uh, red pen media on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash cosmic Casey, both the K's Twitter, same thing. And Instagram KCD writes, not as a women's lib, but as a physical writing. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for giving me your time. Uh, I know that that is our most precious commodity. Uh, so Casey, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. This has been a joy. Thank you.